Well, welcome back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and Bob, my partner. Bob, glad to be with you this morning. You too, Ross. It's always fun. Did you see the Super Bowl last night? I did. And, you know, being an Atlanta fan, I had said, you know, it's not very interesting to me to watch this game, but I tuned in early and ended up being captivated by the game. I thought it was a great game. Really an interesting story with the two brothers, and I was uh, interested in seeing their reaction when they met at midfield uh, last night. I thought that was very interesting. So, I did too. There was, there was a, lot of, uh, a lot of affection between those guys. You can tell that's a pretty close-knit family. Yeah, and then they showed the father and mother up in the press box and their reaction t- to each other is, is really interesting, really interesting family interaction. And I don't know if you know, I can't remember whether it's Jim or John or whatever, but whoever coaches the 49ers, his son works for his brother with the Ravens. Right, right. That's Jim, Jim's son, right. Is that right? Yeah, okay. I didn't know. I can't remember which one was which. But, yeah, great evening. Well, well, I know I, this is not our. This is not a football talk show. We have others of those on Big Brains Media, but we are talking about things that really matter. Maybe almost as much as the Super Bowl matters. That was really sarcasm, I guess. <laughs> well, it might be a good idea, Bob, to bring our listeners up to date with really what we talk about on Worldview Matters. What does matter, and what is worldview? Maybe, maybe a sixty-second overview. Fifty thousand, forty thousand feet would be good. Well, that's a good reminder. Uh, well, you know, the idea of a worldview, everybody has one. It's just, it's the, the lens through which we look at the world. Uh, people may not think that they have one, or if they do have one, it may not be very uh, well thought through. But every one of us have a, have a perspective, a set of presuppositions, if you will, that uh, determine how we interpret all the events of our life. And, you know, when we first started this series back, oh gosh, several months ago now, we talked about the eight questions that really constitute a worldview. These aren't my ideas. They were developed by people uh, in in, in the academic world. But the, the first question was, what is prime reality? What's really real and what's not real? Basically, what's true truth? The, the second question is, what is the nature of the world around us? Is it created or is it just a product of, uh, of chemical reactions, whatever? Uh, thirdly, we talk about a worldview explains what does it mean to be human? Are we products of evolution? Have we been made in the image of the most high God? You get the idea. Question number four was, what happens to us after we die? Do we just cease to exist? Are we reincarnated? Do we go to a place of judgment, a place of paradise? What does that look like? Question five, Ross, was, how do we know anything? And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about our topic of how do we prepare for, from a bibliocentric perspective, how do we prepare for the end of the world? And uh, so do we do we look to, to Holy Scripture for that? Do we... Do we, is it just intuition? How do we know things? Question number six was, is there a basis or what is the basis for right and wrong? Is there such a thing as ethics, morality, or does everybody make their own choices about, about what's right for them? And then seventhly, and this is the one I think we're going to be talking a lot about today, is what is the meaning of history? Uh, is history linear? Is it coming to an end? Uh, is it cyclical? 
what's going on there? Of course, the last one is what core life commitments are consistent with the worldview that we hold. And as believers, and you and I have been very upfront, Ross, about our worldview. It's a it's a biblical Christocentric worldview. And as we talk about how to prepare for the end of the world, we're going to be talking a lot about Jesus and what he said about that and what commitments, what preparations should we make if we believe in the second coming of Christ. So that sort of, that is the 50,000 foot view, I think, of, of what, why worldview is important and how we go about unpacking worldview. Interesting. Okay, exactly right. Now the question is, we're, we're kind of continuing on this topic of the end of the world. The question is, what do we do? Reference the end of the world. Is it coming? Is it soon? How do we know? And what do we do if we believe that it is imminent? Well, it's kind of interesting that we just uh, we just crossed a threshold of one of the predicted ends of the world right around Christmas time, just before Christmas. To, according to some people's understanding of the Mayan calendar, the end of the world was supposed to happen on December the 21st, 2012. Of course, that didn't happen, but that's not the first time that people have predicted uh, when the when the world was going to end. I mean, the the classic uh, the classic cartoon is a guy coming along with this with the bl- the placard that says the world is coming soon, and the guy behind him has a placard that says I think we we don't really know <laughs> we don't really know exactly the day. In fact, Christ Himself said while He was on Earth. He didn't know the day. Only God the Father knew the day. Now, there's debate about whether he knows the day now or not in his resurrected um, uh, for, uh, resurrected uh, being in, in heaven. But he said that we're not going to know the day. But again, that's based on how we know things. As Christians, we put a lot of, a lot of emphasis, a lot of uh, uh, credibility on the Holy Scriptures. And so, Today, as you and I talk about this, we're going to be looking at some holy scriptures. You know, talking about the Mayan calendar, I've always said that if someone predicts that a certain day is the end of the world, you can make a tea time for that day because it's not going to happen on that day for sure because it says only God knows. Right. And, and it certainly hasn't happened yet, has it? And, uh, no. But again, that is your statement, which I certainly agree with as a bibliocentric, Christocentric worldview, uh, the, the, the Bible says, Jesus says, no man will know that day but God. And so there is a day, but we don't know what it is. But it's interesting that Jesus was also a big proponent of being, of being prepared for knowing the times or the seasons, at least sort of what was going on to give us a clue that that day was at least coming, if not imminent. And um, those are some things maybe we can talk about today. So we want to look out of the corner of our eye always at what we see happening in the world and make our decision as to closeness or Really, it's a matter of being prepared. It's it's sort of like driving a car. Uh, you have to be prepared that somebody's going to come in your lane, that there's going to be a wet spot, that 
all of these kinds of things. You don't see it right then, but you know that there's a great possibility that it happens. And in this case, we know that there is a absolute certainty that this will happen. It does. We don't know that it'll happen while we're alive or not. But certainly there's some signs that we see in the world that lead us to believe that prophecy is being fulfilled. And we've talked about the fulfillment of prophecy over the past two shows. Certainly we see that some of the prophecy of Christ's second coming have are being fulfilled before our very eyes. That's exactly right. And we, we talked about uh, right around Christmas time about all the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth about the first coming of the Messiah. And we, we came to the conclusion that mathematically there was a, 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 a the, the preponderance of evidence was overwhelming. The number is so large that we can't get our mind around it. But, you know, Jesus did say, even though we couldn't know the exact day, he did say two things about being in preparation for that day. And, I, you know, that's what I, I think we need to talk about today. Or I'd like to talk about with you today is how how should we be prepared for that day? And there seem to be two admonitions or exhortations from Christ himself to us about how to be prepared for that day. The first one was, don't let it catch you by surprise. In other words, be ready, be looking for that day. And the second admonition was, let get yourself prepared for it. You know, when I think about that day, and I like your illustration about, about driving a car and sort of, you know, being aware through your peripheral vision of all that's going on around you. You know, when I think about Jesus's exhortations about being ready for this day, I think about it the way that I used to think about Christmas when I was a child. I, I knew that after Thanksgiving, things began to happen. My mom and dad began to whisper a lot, and and I, you know, would see Christmas specials on TV, and so you began to recognize that the day itself was approaching because you were in the holiday or the Advent season. And so you begin to maybe even mark it on your calendar. So many shopping days for Christmas or whatever. But the second thing that you would begin to do, at least my parents did, I did a little bit, was you begin saving money for presents. You begin uh, thinking about, you know, what would your mom want or your dad want or your brother want? So there's this two twofold preparation. Look for the day, get ready for it, but then be prepared for it by doing the things you need to do so that when that day comes, you won't be caught by surprise, with no present for your brother. Of course, my brother didn't deserve a present, but you get the idea. You know, to, to indicate the age, at least my age, I remember when I first started working, there was a thing called the Christmas Club. And every week I would put a dollar into the, my Christmas Club. So two weeks before Christmas, they would give me a check for $50. So that was preparation for Christmas giving. So you either know I was a cheapskate or I'm very old or both. <laughs> well, I, at one point you told that story and they used rocks and shells instead of dollars. So I appreciate <laughs> or at least make it more contemporary so our listeners. Uh, you know, but, but, but that's the idea. It's You know there is a day, the 25th of December, that's coming. And so you're looking for it and you look for it more closely as that day gets closer. 
but you also are getting ready for it. In your case, saving up for the Christmas club or, you know, maybe stockpiling uh, some coins in a jar somewhere. But that's the idea, I think, behind this. Well, now, let's say that we knew that Christ was coming. Obviously, we don't, can't, but we knew that he was coming in our lifetime. What would be the preparation that we should make? What kind? Would we uh, stockpile water? What, you know, what would we do? Well, it's interesting that you, you talk about a crisis coming within our lifetime, because in one sense, when you read the scriptures, you read the Bible about this particular time of history. Um, in, in one sense, there's enough evidence uh, in Scripture that the Lord could come back at any time since he left, since the days of his ascension, that the people that were alive on earth during that time should be anticipating that he could come back during their lifetime. So I think we need to recognize that, that in, in one sense, every generation has had enough uh, evidences to make them think, hey, he could come back before I die. I mean, the Christians that were alive in Palestine, in the Roman world in 70 AD, certainly had enough of those signs. Of course, now we look back and go, no, he didn't come back in the first century or the second century or the 20th century. And could he come back in the 21st century? Absolutely. There's enough evidence that he could. But I think that there's also the specific sort of, you know, you sort of depress the clock, the stopwatch, Ross, of things that will need to be happening before that generation can say, not just might it, might it happen in my lifetime, but it's going to happen in my lifetime because we see these clear evidences. We don't know the day, but we do know this time frame. Well, give us an example of a couple of things that we have seen happen and a couple of things that have not happened so that we know we're kind of in that middle. There's some sort of the clock has started in some way, but the day hasn't uh, hasn't appeared. But well, we're, you know, you, in, in our, one of our, our earlier shows, you talked about about Adolf Hitler and <clears> all <throat> of the all of the characteristics of Hitler, who was I think everybody would agree was a type of Antichrist. Uh, and I use that term with a little a. He wasn't the Antichrist, but he was certainly an Antichrist because of the way that he world history, the way, of course, his, his, uh, and the fact that he wanted to eradicate the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. Uh, that's another evidence of that. But it seems to be, and we, and we talked about this before, there's going to be this seven-year period at some, when this time happens, there's going to be a seven-year period. It's going to begin with the signing of a covenant of peace between Israel and her enemies. Now, interestingly, uh, Israel has not been a nation uh, until 1948 with the signing of the Balfour uh, Treaty when the, the, the uh, Great Britain was ruling over the land of Palestine. In 1948, they signed an, uh, uh, an accord, basically allowing Israel to become a nation-state for the first time, Ross, since 70 A.D., when Titus and the Romans 
you know, scattered the Jews. And many people were saying at that time, that's the sign. The fact that Israel is back in the land is the sign that we're in the end times. And who knows, that's going to have to happen. Israel's going to have to be back in the land. Personally, I don't think that's the depression of the stopwatch. I think the depression of the stopwatch is three and a half years into this treaty, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Not a Antichrist, Ross, but the Antichrist. And that's when it's time for us to go, uh uh-oh, now it's time to start looking for the second coming of Christ. Well, now, so so the starting block, 1948 was not that from your standpoint, your beliefs, but that we're waiting for the stopwatch to be depressed and, and the seven-year period begin, right? Right. And I'm not saying that 1948 wasn't an incredibly strategic and tactical time point within history. I mean, the Jews had to be back in their land. They need to be back in their land so that several things can happen at the end times. But personally, I don't, I'm not thinking necessarily that was the depressing of the stopwatch, but it's certainly another sign that things are moving toward the end. But the Jews could be in the land for another hundred years and the Lord still not come back. Uh, but I think I personally, this is my interpret. This is my worldview, Ross. I think that the that the sign's going to be the the unveiling of the Antichrist himself, and I, I think that's what Paul was teaching uh, when he wrote the, the Thessalonian church and said, "Don't let anybody deceive you. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed." So, biblically. That seems to be the depressing of the stopwatch. It's when the man of lawlessness is revealed. Ah, interesting. Okay, so what had, but 1948, the Balfour Treaty, the Jews returning to their land, that is something that had to happen, but it's not the trigger point for the beginning of the, the well, beginning of the end. Well, that's my estimation. Other other biblical scholars and s- students of the end times w- would dis- might disagree with me. They probably would. But from my viewpoint, I think that the scripture teaches that the, the thing that the sign that we're in that end time period is the revelation of the man of lawlessness. And the believers on the earth will know that. They'll, they'll recognize that for what it is. You know, but it, it might be good to give our listeners a bit of a, you talked about the 50,000-foot view. Ross, the, one of the things we need to understand as you study the Bible with reference to eschatology, and that's the theological term for the study of the times of the end. One of the things you have to understand is you've got to realize that um, – <clears throat> The scriptures give these broad stroke timelines, but they don't fill in the particulars. But then the scriptures seem to give these little snippets. They, they show you little scenes that are taking place within these timelines. And it's not always clear exactly where those scenes fit in the chronology. So it's going to take, I believe that's why the Lord said, be prepared, be ready for these days. Well, now let's talk about readiness. You know, we've seen if you if you went through the period when the we changed over the century, and the the question was going to be, do we have uh, what's called Y two K? 
are the computers going to be all messed up and everything's going to go haywire and what have you. Uh, so there was a lot of preparation, uh, food, uh, water, and obviously that did not happen. As a matter of fact, sort of a side story, I was doing some preparation. As a matter of fact, I had gotten from you a fairly large container for some water, and I was trying to put a faucet in it to to where it would hold that water. And so I had tools laid around on the basement floor, and it started to leak. And so I realized I had to drain it and refix it. And then I was listening to the radio, and 12 o'clock passed through Russia, and nothing happened. I laid my tools down. I said, if it's okay in Russia, it's going to be okay here. (laughs) Two years later, I went back down and looked. Those tools were still laying there in front of us. Right. Right. (laughs) No, it didn't happen. But we were making some preparation for something. We made a calculated guess as to what could and may happen. We made a preparation. Now, in this particular case, when we're talking about the second coming, there are many different viewpoints about what will happen to believers at that time. Some are pre-trib, which means that before the seven-year period, the Lord will take believers away. Mid-trib, which means three and a half. Post-trib, which means we're going through the whole seven years. So can you touch on that a little bit? Well, I can, and, and I, I appreciate your your uh, reminder that, that Y2K, we, we didn't know what was going to happen during that time. And obviously, it was much ado about nothing. But, you know, we can see that now looking back on it, but looking forward, it was a little bit murky. We couldn't see. And so prudence and wisdom says you don't know what's going to happen. Therefore, you do the best you can in preparing for something. And if it doesn't happen, well, you're better off for that. I mean, let's look back on the Y2K thing. Would it have been better if you'd had water stockpile and not needed it? or not had water stockpiled and really needed it? And the answer, of course, is that's why we buy life insurance. That's why we have savings accounts. That's why we do everything in preparation. And, and But the question is, what should we be preparing for and how should we be preparing? Should, For example, you mentioned uh, that for Christians, there seem to be different views about when the coming of the Lord is going to take place. In the, in the midst of this seven-year period, there's a school of thought that believes that Christ is going to come back at the very beginning of this seven-year period. Right when the Antichrist signs a treaty, that's when the church is going to be taken out of, out of the game, basically. And Israel's going to emerge as the prime player on earth of, of, of the kingdom of God. There are some that teach that uh, or think that he's going to come back right in the middle of that period, and others that teach he's going to come back at the very end, at the end of that seven-year period. The, I'll tell you what I hope, Ross. I hope those people who say he's coming back at the very beginning are right, uh, because that way, you know, those of us who are believers now will miss that whole tribulation period uh, altogether. I hope they are right. Uh, we can talk about what I think later on in the broadcast or maybe next broadcast if you'd like. But, but the point is, if you think you're going to be taken out completely, there's very little preparation that you need to make other than just to have your make sure you're a believer. But if he's coming back later on, the further you get into that tribulation period, 
the more preparation you might need to do, whether it's heart preparation or actually preparation of our environment. Well, I think it's a, it's hard to make the case that our heart should not be prepared at all times. Uh, but preparation beyond that, whether it's tactile or tactile or tactical or tactile preparation, uh, that's another question. Heart preparation is pretty, it's a pretty easy case to make and we should we should always be prepared for that for that time well you know it's interesting that you say that because i had a conversation a few years ago with uh with a christian brother who held to the fact that christ was going to come at the very beginning of the tribulation and that he was going to be removed from it and not have to worry about all the turmoil that was going on on the earth and it's interesting that second peter 3 I think it's verse 11, is talking about the end times. It says, in light of all these things that are, that are coming, in light of how the, the, the world's going to end, what kind of people should we be? We should be holy and godly. That's the, that's the biblical admonition. But this friend said, you know, I know I've got some things in my life that are probably I'm not really being obedient to Christ about. But I look at that as, you know, He's going to basically not worry about that since I'm going to be snatched out before all the trouble happens anyway. And when he said that to me, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. The the viewpoint that says we're going to be removed from the game before the trouble starts, and, and that one brother's life basically was a reason for him not being holy and godly. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure that's what the warnings to be prepared should, that's not the position we should take. I think we should take exactly the opposite position. I think that's uh, a scary position. It is a scary position. That I, sort of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play fast and loose with the Lord's admonitions and I'm to be mature, I'm to be a godly man, being having my heart prepared. But but I, I don't think this was, this fellow was alone. I think uh, the idea that we're going to be taken out of the trouble many times encourages sort of a cavalier perspective of, well, I know I've got stuff in my life that I need to deal with, but, ah, you know, that's hard. I mean, discipleship is not easy. So uh, since I'm going to miss all the trouble anyway, why make the effort? Ooh, I'm not sure that's a very wise perspective. Uh, that's a, that would, I think, call into question a person's belief. Well, you may be right. I mean, it could be that this person is not looking for Christ to come at all. And really, he's not really looking for that coming. But here's what I I keep coming back to, though. And I know we're just about out of time for this show. It's It's the Lord who urges us to be on the watch. And then he says, and I want you to pray. This is in Luke 21, 36. And maybe this is a good place to stop and we can pick this up next time. He said, I want you to be to pray so that you might be able to escape all that's about to happen. Pray so that you might be able to escape. If we're going to be snatched out and not have to worry about it, why should the Lord urge us to pray that we might be able to escape? There seems to be something there about our heart preparation that gets us ready for a time that may not be so 
beneficial to us unless we are prepared. Wow. Now that does that say, or is there room for in there for it to say or to to believe that Christians will be taken out at different times during this seven year period based on some other factor? Well, there's an admonition there. It's not real clear in Scripture what the takeaway from that is, other than we should be praying, obviously seeking the Lord in our prayers, so that we might be able to escape. There's a conditional promise there. If we're prayerful and watchful, then there's going to be a benefit for us. And the benefit in this case is we might be able to escape. Whether that means there's going to be Uh, varying times of the Lord taking people out of the trials. Or Or protection during that time. Well, see, that's the part that we, that's the part that the Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of insight about, Ross. It doesn't really say, maybe it's preparation so that we'll be able to be martyred or go to prison or have some kind of an ark prepared, like Noah prepared an ark in the days before the destruction of the first earth with water. It's really not clear. Maybe it's preparation so that we'll be able to refuse the mark of the beast. Maybe it's there'll be more discernment so that we'll have more specificity as that day gets closer and closer. That's why I think these things are so interesting to talk about, and I know we are at a time. Maybe we can pick this up right here in our next show. That's great. There's certainly a lot to be discussed here, a lot to think about. But we're talking about preparation for the second coming of Christ, or the end of the world, as as we know it, the beginning of a of a different life with with Christ or without Christ, depending upon our own position and what what we do with our life on while we're here on Earth. But we talked about the second coming, end of time. Uh, how we prepare emotionally, how we prepare heart, spiritually, and do we have any preparation that needs to be made from a physical standpoint. So we'd love for you to come back and be with us again. We'll pick this up right here where we are now in our next show next week. And this would encourage you to go to some of our other shows on Big Brains Media. There's a, a football show on Alabama and Auburn each each of those, uh, there is um, Eavesdrop, a show for women. Of course, our mentor, James Spann, has his show on weather. So there are a number of things. And there's also Just Talking It Up, which is one of the older shows on this particular channel, where uh, Crash and Janet talk about a lot of crazy things. So come be with them, too. But, Bob, it's certainly great to be with you. Thank you, JP, our who puts all this together for us. And thanks to James for his great idea for this channel. And I look forward to next week with you, Bob. Thanks, folks. Worldview matters. Amen. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Grains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.